You may have heard this term. There's a, there's a popular theory uh, or doctrine in Christianity that goes by the name of penal substitutionary atonement or penal substitution, which personally I find both an unfortunate doctrine and an unfortunate name. But anyway, we'll move on. Um, and so essentially penal substitution can be understood uh, a bit like a courtroom in that it goes a bit like uh, as human beings, we owe God uh, a debt, a payment for our sin that is essentially punishable by death. And ultimately, that punishment is not particularly helpful because we can't come back from that. You know, death penalty is, is pretty final. And so therefore... God sends his son, Jesus, to take our place and to pay our debt for us by suffering uh, the punishment that is commensurate with our sins, which is torture and death. So the debt is paid. And so essentially, uh, many Christians' vision and understanding of Jesus dying on the cross kind of translates into this bloodlust from an angry God who seems to desire death and human sacrifice as justice for our transgressions, for our sins. Because somehow that is deemed to be the only way that we can be forgiven and that we can come into relationship with him. And so I kind of, I I look at that doctrine and I understand it, it, it seems to be there in scripture But it seems also to me that surely this is why so many people think that God is angry, that God is violent, that that God is judgmental, that he's essentially just waiting to smite us at every turn. And so one of the readings for this week uh, in the fifth Sunday in Lent comes from John chapter 12, verses 20 to 33, and it says this. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. So Philip went to tell Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But... If it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honour the one who serves me. Now, my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. As always, there's so much that can be unpacked in this scripture um, and, and there's never enough time in the short time that we have to kind of dive into it uh, entirely. But tonight, I just want to consider very quickly three things. Uh, one is the metaphor of the kernel of wheat. Uh, the second thing is what was the reason that Jesus came to this hour, as he says. And, and thirdly, 
How is it that God's name uh, can be glorified in this hour? So firstly, uh, the metaphor of the kernel of wheat. So Jesus is quoted as saying, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. So the society of Jesus' time was what we would call agrarian. Uh, so it was a culture whose economy, uh, whose livelihoods was very much based on producing and maintaining crops, producing livestock and, and uh, taking care of farmland. And so as such, this is a metaphor that would have made sense to the people that were hearing it. Wheat in and of itself is useful for making a lot of things. Uh, it's useful for making bread and it's useful for making beer. Um, but those things, I guess, have a finite use in and of themselves. You, you eat bread and you drink beer and they're tasty and they're nourishing, um, but then they're gone. And so you essentially have to retain some of the wheat because if you don't retain some of the wheat, it ceases to be a renewable resource. It, it can't continue to grow. And so if the kernel of wheat doesn't fall to the ground and die, then another crop can't grow. The, the, the life cycle won't continue. And so what we can kind of take from this is, is that the small and the seemingly insignificant is very much a vital contributor to the bigger picture and to the greater good. It's, it's a common theme in scripture. We read about uh, the kernel of wheat and the mustard seed and the prodigal son and uh, the lost lamb and the lost coin that so often there's this narrative of the one and the small and uh, the seemingly dispensable, the seemingly insignificant uh, that is actually a vital part of the whole. Which kind of brings us to the hour that Jesus was talking about. So Jesus' impending hour, uh, as we know through the time of Lent and as we move towards Easter, involved arrest, it involved rejection, it involved trial, it involved torture, uh, it involved execution on the cross. And the cross was a Roman device and a, and a symbol of brutal execution and uh, also a symbol of justice. Uh, but it was also one of the most humiliating and really the most horrific ways to die. So, so this was Jesus' hour that he was talking about. But why? For what purpose? Because, because of penal substitution? Because God somehow saves us through violence? Or is it something else? As a parent, uh, late at night, when I'm thinking about the worst possible things that could possibly happen in and around my life, I don't do this often, but occasionally I do, uh, my thought always goes to the worst case scenario, which is that somehow as a parent that I would have to bury my children, that one of them would die. It, it, it is easily my greatest fear. If I ever have a nightmare, it's kind of about that. And uh, it's my greatest torment. If, if you have had to do that, uh, whether that's someone here or, or someone listening, uh, if you have lost a child, uh, uh, I'm really sorry. I... I my heart breaks for people who lose kids and I honestly don't know how people continue to breathe in that scenario. But uh, when I think about that and I, I think about that in the context of Easter and, and in the context uh, also, I guess, of what I could never forgive. Um, if someone maimed one of my kids or, or killed one of my kids, especially deliberately, 
I don't think I could forgive that. I, I think, I hope that never happens. <laughs> uh, I hope I never have to put that to the test. But I, I don't think that I could. And so I think about that and, and then I wonder why then, why would we think that God is okay with that? Why would we think that God conspired for that? Because of resurrection, because he thought, well, it's okay, it's going to come back to life. So, you know, I don't know. I don't think that cuts it. Jesus' kernel of wheat metaphor, at least for me, kind of seems relatively clear. Death is not about violence or retribution or or justice. It's about renewal and it's about the cycle of creation. And Jesus' teaching are also clear. He's very clear that redemptive violence is a myth. Uh, you know, he says things like, you've heard it said, uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say turn the other cheek. And in the act of being arrested, Jesus says, put away your sword. So redemptive violence is not something that, that he talks about or that, that is in his DNA. And Jesus continually flips paradigms on their head and he continually challenges our worldview. And I think he does the same with the cross. Jesus endures human violence and then he forgives it. Forgive them, Father, he says, for they know not what they do. I don't believe that the cross is about redemptive violence. I believe that the cross is about the abolition of violence. I believe that the cross is about forgiving the unforgivable, that it's about humility, that it's about uh, shining a light on the abhorrence of brutality against creation, and, and that it's really ultimately a demonstration of God's love for his creation, even when his creation turns its back on him or chooses to brutally murder. And, it, and it's really kind of in this act of peacemaking that I think that God is glorified. Brian Zan uh, poses the question, do we see the cross as the place where God saves the world by violence or from violence? And then he goes on to write, at the cross we discover a God who would rather die than kill his enemies. The cross is where God in Christ absorbs sin and recycles it into forgiveness. The cross is not what God inflicts upon Christ in order to forgive. The cross is what God endures in Christ as he forgives. I think that the only substitution that God seeks is peace replacing violence, forgiveness replacing hate, and love replacing exclusion. And I think that when we begin to grasp that, that that's when God is glorified. And that's my prayer. That's my prayer, that our world would refuse redemptive violence and instead embrace forgiveness and love and that we as a community would model that. Amen. Amen.